Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible with the support of the Women's Network Resource Group and the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. Make sure to text WNRG to 239-355 to have episodes sent straight to your mobile every Thursday morning. And we always want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts in our Buzz Group, WNRG Podcast Series, or by tagging us. Well, today in the studio, we have Tara, Carmen, and this is Brittany. And our guest today is David Best, who is a senior talent management professional. He does the Veterans Hiring Initiative. He's a salute co-chair and an all-around great guy. So welcome, David. I wanted to say I'm very excited to have you in the studio today. We're going to start off with a brief snapshot of your career journey and you know what kind of brought you to Humana. Okay. So at the end of my career, I, as I was um, starting to transition from the military, I, I started looking at things to do. And the, the real truth is, is that I thought that at the end of my career, I was going to get a federal job because of my skill set that I had. And, and the Human Resource um, Center for the entire Army is at Fort Knox, Kentucky, right here locally. And what happened kind of on my way to that federal job was sequestration hit. And so that meant that there were no federal job openings, and it went on for months, and so that forced me to make other considerations, and getting a real job was one of them. So I have a friend, the, her husband and I were in the military together. He worked for me, and we were all pursuing continuous process improvement together. And he left the military, and she worked here in process improvement, and encouraged me over time to, uh, you know, uh, use my Lean Six Sigma black belt and process improvement skills to apply for a role here. And she let me know of some openings that came up and encouraged me, and 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 that's how I came in. And so before Humana, though, you served for 32 years. I served for 32 years. All right. And what what was your rank when you left? Sergeant Major. Congratulations, big big deal. It, it, it is it is a big deal. It's the you know, when I look back on the on what an achievement it was. From when I joined the Army until I left the Army to get to that level, uh, less than 1% of all people that join the military are going to stay for a 20-year career. And of those 1% who stay, less than 1% are going to achieve that rank. Wow. So it's a, it is, it's, it's a pretty big deal. I was asking my husband about that, and he was like, That's, you need to applaud that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a veteran and so you also lead the veterans hiring initiative here at Humana. Could you kind of describe the overall mission and goal of the veter- veterans hiring initiative here? So the overall mission is to exercise our our social responsibility the social responsibility aspect of our company first uh, in uh, around 2011 President Obama had asked corporate America to consider hiring more veterans and so that's how our veterans hiring initiative started we started with a with a goal of hiring a thousand people by a certain amount of time and the goal was so successful that we just kept on with it and and then we just finally established that we would like to hire about 500 veterans and military spouses a year 
and we also wanted to change our focus so that we included more of the wounded warrior population. And I just wanted to kind of add some of the awards and honors that happened in 2017. So we were a a second-time nominee for the Secretary of Defense Freedom Award. We were nominated number seven overall by GI Jobs for being a military-friendly gold top 10 employer. We were also awarded top 10 gold-level military-friendly employer by Victory Media. And there are still numerous, numerous awards that continue to pile in. So I would say that the initiative has been very successful, and I myself am a military spouse so I, I do appreciate all the consideration and what goes into that. And the Pathfinder program is kind of one of those those things. And I was told that this was your brainchild. And can you kind of give our listeners an overview of what the Pathfinder program is? Sure. So one of the things that is a phenomenon to uh, veterans, really veterans exclusively, not to the military spouse population, is that when they serve a lengthy career in the military and they get out, they have a tendency to go to the first job that they get an offer to. And they get into the job and they they don't know anybody, they don't know anything about the system, they don't know the politics, they don't understand what's going on, and so their attrition rate becomes a, a bit of an issue. And so the numbers are out there that um, veterans who serve long-term in the military and then come out and go to corporate America may have three different jobs in their first two years. Wow. So what that indicates to me and based on some of the research that I did was there's an assimilation problem. So my thought was is that we uh, try to figure out a way from when we first hire them to get them involved in our family from day one, even before day one. So while they're in pre-onboarding to let them know there's a safety net here. We, you know, we'd like to help you through the onboarding process. And, and that's basically really what it is. And it's, you know, while it's, it's good for the veteran population, it really applies to everybody because everybody wants to have a sense of belonging. The military population is a little bit different because you're making a huge change from a high intensity, high operating tempo environment into corporate America, which is completely different. Uh, you know, one of my first experiences was in my in my former life, I could, you know, if I wanted to get something done, it got done. In corporate America, the directive leadership is not appropriate. So you have to be diplomatic. You have to have a negotiating style. And so, you know, it's that's a hard thing for some people to learn because they they have a natural tendency to go, what's wrong with these people? Why aren't they moving fast? But that's not the that's not what's going on. And it's not that it's bad. It's a different style of working. And, and so, again, we set the expectations up front and say, look, you might not have the same experience. You're, you're not going to – you can't expect to get promoted every year. You can't expect to get a pay raise every year. This is – you know, your path to success isn't as clear. You have to define it yourself as opposed to somebody else going, here's your roadmap. You know, get on it and go. And so that's what we want to do is, you know, give them a sense of belonging and also let them know that there's a safety net and, you know, that that we're here to help. And you mentioned that you have uh, been adding 500 500 every year. Mm -hmm. So the last piece of literature I read, there's 4,000 that has come through the system. 4,000 plus maybe at this point in yeah, time? Yeah, so we're, we are well over 4,500 since the beginning of the hiring initiative. As a matter of fact, last year we had a record hiring year, and it was it was just amazing what we achieved last year. And, 
And so we we settled down a little bit this year, and we're trying to find a different rhythm. And w- one of the things that's unique to um, people that we bring in from the military is they don't really understand their skill set, and we don't either. And so what we have a tendency to do is um, bring them in two or three levels below where they're capable of operating. And so my my idea for where I would personally like and professionally like this to go is that we address this underemployment and bring them into work, into roles that are commensurate with their skill set so that we can utilize them or, or take advantage and leverage what they have. So, and with the Pathfinder program, I kind of wanted to highlight part of the onboarding process. So if you are a veteran or a military spouse, mm-hmm. you can select if you would like to be matched with a Pathfinder. That's correct. And so with that, whenever you say, oh, yes, I would like to be matched with a Pathfinder, you would be placed in touch with a current Humana associate that is either a, a veteran or someone that, that has a, a real heart for the military. Mm-hmm. And they'll help bring you on board and transition you and really welcome you into the Humana culture yes. and to, into some of the norms that are here in, per se, corporate America. Um, do you have anything that you wish that civilians would understand about, about veterans or people that do have that military service? Well, let me let me back up a little bit, and I want to expand a little bit on the Pathfinder program. That when um, when I had this idea, I didn't have the ability to execute it. And when I first proposed the idea to some people, it wasn't thought of favorably. And uh, when Nate Bellinger became the co-leader of the Veterans Network Resource Group, I proposed the idea to him, and he helped to provide resources. And what ended up happening was. I was paired with Brandy Shad and Whitney Conley, and we put this thing together. And we and it is, you know, it was a turnkey operation. It was ready to give to anybody. You know, we created a guide, we created a process, we um, Brandy coded it in, you know, the the system so that when a person was signing their electronic offer, that they could indicate, yes, I would like to be paired with a Pathfinder. Wow. So you know, there was a Brandy and Whitney. I cannot tell you the hours that they spent you know, putting this together. So kudos to them, too. And the Pathfinder program, and you may have already said that, or Brittany, maybe you did, there is a certain criteria to be a Pathfinder person. You know, yes. Usually we ask that they be a a veteran or military spouse, but the the truth is is that we would really like to open it up to to everybody that that wants to to help out because when we created the guide, the guide is – it's kind of, uh, you know, it lets you know what you need to do to help them to get on board. And, and the, the reason that we were wanting a, a, a veteran or military spouse is because that experience is really hard to understand unless you've lived it. You either have had to live it as the service member or the spouse of a service member or what we call a dependent, the child or somebody else who depends on the service member. And I don't I honestly don't believe that today that that needs to be that that needs to be the criteria. I think that we did it because we want them to have the same shared experience to say, "Hey, look, I speak your language." You know, I went to that Rosetta Stone course just with you. But now it's there's there's people that that want to do this because they care and and we probably would really like to open that up. Have you had a reason have you had folks that I don't want to say be turned away, but just didn't have enough support um, on the other side to have a person to be paired up with? I, I, I don't think so. Okay. I, yeah. Fair. Um, 
and there there are a few associates that aren't aren't veterans or military spouses that are are helping with Puerto Rico we we have a, an associate there that's a pathfinder that that helps go and do that and I've had three um, pathfindees as, as I guess I call them but it is a definite shared experience whenever you you have someone that was just hired to Humana but she's so worried she's gonna lose her job in case they have to PCS to another another post and right. you know it's so comforting to tell someone that I don't feel that that's the case Humana really values this this associate population and just if you have any worries you know speak to your direct leader but I'm, right. I'm here as a resource let me know what I can do to help you and I that is just tremendous because before Humana, I, I did not have that experience being being a military spouse. I mean, I do no one for months in, in the state of Pennsylvania. So it, it's definitely something near and dear to my heart and that I have a lot of connection to. Well, and, you know, that speaks to the success of it itself. And I will tell you, you know, Whitney Conley is she's not a spouse or a veteran and she serves. Really? Yeah. She's, she's a huge oh, heart. <laughs> she, yeah. And her father was a Vietnam veteran and she just, yeah. And so, you know, you have that connection and oh my goodness, that person, she just, uh, you know, she is um, an inspiration and a driver and, and just a great person to be around. She gets a lot accomplished and you can see the passion and her and Christina Gardner run this program and they have just done you know some serious heavy labor i mean it's a it's a volunteer thing and you go oh my goodness you know you have done this so amazing it's like you know yeah i'd love to give you a pay raise yes i'd love to give you a promote you know they have just done such an amazing job i can't even thank them enough well and it's good to know because i did read the criteria which is made because i'm not a veteran and i'm not a spouse of i'm a daughter of a korean war um he served in the army so, but I, based on the uh, information I read, the criteria is is the other, and uh, so it's good to know that the door is open. Um, and PCS, what's that acronym for? Permanent change of station. Thank you. I thought to say I, I I myself needed some help because I've always just heard it just hey we're we're gonna PCS to here like we updated my orders to PCS and and we're kind of starting that process again my husband served for 18 years and he's you know at 20 he doesn't know if he's gonna retire and it's it's very it's stressful in a way but I I just it's such a relief to have, have a job and have an employer that, that supports it and to know that I'm not going to scramble and that my career really has to take a hit because there's numerous studies that show that that military spouses have such a hard time. And I've listened to so many a podcast or a story of uh, somebody that was stationed in California and their dental hygienist license was in Louisiana. And there's nothing that can be done to transfer right. state unless she recertifies in the state. And there's just so many different obstacles that if I wasn't a part of it, I would have, I would not understand and I wouldn't have that connection to. And there's just a really finite set of struggles that uh, unless you sit down and talk with someone and you right. really get down on that level that, that you can understand it. Well, and I'll give you a perfect example from my life. And that is that my wife gave up, uh, she was pre-med and she wanted to be a surgeon, but she gave that up for our relationship, you know, when we got married. And in the last 10 years that, that we were together in the military, we moved six times and we moved overseas two of them and so you know there's a lot of unique struggles and sacrifices but just think of the character building that you get out of that you come out of the other side of that stronger and and that's where i'm really trying to go with you know the when we bring in 
a veteran or military spouse, you know, they have those experiences that are in addition to the qualifications they might bring to a role. And, you know, that's added value, well, unexpected I, value. You thought, to me, it sounds so much of the ability to adapt, the ability to absorb change, right. um, that resilience piece. I mean, those are like core values that you want in an, in an employee right. in any organization, especially one that's changing every minute of the day. So I think how do you bring those into the organization and celebrate those in our, our service men and women? Uh, that's a great point. It really is. But, you know, an, another thing, too, is that when veterans, especially when they come into corporate America and they don't, there's some understandings that they don't have. And so there is um, a miscommunication between the hiring manager and the veteran. Well, you know, both sides have a hard time understanding the strengths of each other. And one of the things that hiring managers have told me, uh, they have a hard time with military people because they see them as not being able to take the initiative. And one of the, and I'll, I'll go further into that. One of the things that I personally noticed about corporate America is that there's a lot of ambiguity and you'll be told, you know, hey, we want this deliverable, but then that's really where it ends. It's, you know, it's a, there's an expectation that you have the skills, you're gonna go ahead and produce it. Well, in the military, there is when you get given a task you know you plan you write out operations you um you kind of know where your boundaries are to operate and corporate america is different you don't know where your boundaries are and so military people will take the initiative inside of those boundaries all the time and they're really great about it but they know you can't go outside of this boundary or outside of this boundary and corporate america is kind of the wild wild west and so what i tell both of these parties individually is look Here's what's going on here. They're, the hiring manager is has bought all the ingredients to a salad and wants a salad. They don't care how you make it. Just go make it. It's that simple, and that helps me to you know get over the hump with both of them. I mean, it's really simple for them to understand that. I mean, because we've, we've all seen the job wrecks that have, like, associate must be able to handle ambiguity and to solve complex <laughs> business problems. I'm pretty sure that's on every single job wreck that there is at Humana. So yeah, I definitely understand and kind of relate to that. So and, and kind of speaking about giving back and supporting others. It's uh, kind of part of the the military culture. Uh, You just spoke about the value of veterans in the workplace at a diversity conference in Louisville. Can you share with us about that experience? Sure. Let me see. How do do I want to put this? Uh, A couple of years ago, after I had been in the role comfortably, I had an opportunity to hear a presentation that senior leaders in the Army go and give to leaders in corporate America. And it it was basically titled that, The Value of the Veteran. And it was a presentation that the, that the Army used to try to influence corporate America to hire more veterans, but how it talked about veterans was the reason you would want to hire a veteran is because they're disciplined and they'll come to work. They're not going to be you know, a troublemaker. And just think about the last 10 people that you fired and you know what were the reasons that you fired them. And I'm telling these Army leaders, no, 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 that's not... That's not the value of the veteran. This is the value of the veteran. We might train somebody. Uh, what is your husband trained as, as, as an example? All right, so he uh, used to be healthcare professionals, recruiters who recruited doctors, the Air mm-hmm. Force, and now he's marketing and training who so trains the recruiters that recruit doctors. Okay, so the military trained him for those two jobs. If we sent him to Iraq and, or Afghanistan, we might bring him over to a village and say, hey, look, 
we need you to be the mayor of this village for the next three months. We need you to make sure that their trash is taken away, that they have electricity, and that their disputes are resolved. And so, you know, we've let that person specialize in one thing, but then we bring him to this crazy, out-of-control environment with, with the expectation that he's going to be a diplomat. He's going to be able to be mature enough to handle that. And we didn't give him training in advance and say, hey, you know, we're going to make you the mayor of the village. And so that's the value that you get, the flexibility that you get. You know, somebody that can react to that and pick things up and go, I've never seen this before, but I'm going to make it work. That's so. the value that the, the serviceman or woman brings yes. to the corporate space. Right. Right. Okay. So I got an opportunity to go to this diversity conference and talk about the value of the veteran. And those are the things that I that I highlighted. And, and one of the other things that is really important for me to highlight is that from a diversity standpoint, the military gets it. So anybody that you bring into corporate America, diversity isn't something that's abstract or theoretical or some, you know, something that we can talk about. It's something that we live every day because you're thrown together with people you've never seen from different places all over the, the country and you have to make it work. You know, you get sent to, to hard places and you're together and we don't have time to um, ask questions about certain things. We, we, we get it done together. And so, you know, I, that's another thing that people that, that our, our prior military bring into the organization, that they're a great diversity asset because they, they're champions of it because they live it. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about how, I mean, obviously you're very passionate about, about this. How did you get into this space within Humana? So when I came into Humana, I was, I came in as a process consultant and at, in account installation and uh, was doing process improvement work and I was working on a platform migration for uh, a system called FEMIS. And um, I had been, I don't know, somewhere around six months and and I had a chance meeting with somebody who was in the leadership of the Veterans Network Resource Group, and, and we had lunch, and, you know, he talked to me about the different things that they did, and I said, well, that's great. I, I'd love to help out, um, you know, however I can. And so periodically I, I would help out with some different things, and um, Josh Galley, who had this role, who originally started this role, he said to me one day, he was part of the leadership, that, you know, it, in the future, I should consider doing something like this. And I laughed because, you know, I had done some of this in, in the Army. And I said, I'm never going to HR again. There's too many politics in HR. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready to just be a regular average Joe hidden in the woodwork. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Now knowing you, that's a funny statement. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, <laughs> funny. I, uh, I, I found out that Josh left, and I saw the role open. And I was actually in competition for another role, and uh, it this I I applied for it and I got a screening interview and and I you know got asked did I want to you know go to the next level interview and I did, and when I was listening to the talent acquisition director who was interviewing me I I had an epiphany I was like this is this is where I need to be, and I you know and I talked to him about that and. It just worked out, and I got, I got hired into the role. But I will tell you, the Veterans Network Resource Group, my exposure to the VNRG is what got me into this role right here. It was, and so that's why I believe in the power of the NRGs. Absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. we can all attest to that, and we speak to it quite often in our 
and our podcast because I mean that's the only way especially I don't I don't know if you're at an office or work at home but a lot of us are virtual so these types of networking opportunities are sometimes the only exposure we get to people outside of our direct you know little business space um, it's it's absolutely vital you know just for for growth and maybe not even growth upward maybe you're comfortable in the position you're in but just growth uh, professionally within the company well and personally too I mean I'm Tiny, small office, Pennsylvania. I would never have imagined I'd be brave enough to to start a podcast, to sit and, like, talk to people. And working with the NRGs has opened up a whole new world for me to get involved with some people that have some phenomenal stories that I would have never met had had I not, you know, taken the initiative and been active with the the network resource groups. That's why it's called NRG, the network resource group. And to that, uh, you know, when you think about the different, you know, I always thought as network resource group, I always say it's kind of like, let's say Humana's your, your high school and there's the art club and the football team and so we all identify differently with different groups so right. it's something other than our regular role that we uh, work every day that we can um, share some of the same likes and network all at the same time so yes to all the NRGs. Absolutely. So in your role now then is, and I don't, I don't know, is the veteran piece of it separate or are you specifically working with veterans? Well, no, I specifically work with veterans okay. and military spouses. I have a couple other little side projects that I do. Um, in, in addition to that, um, I'm working on an initiative to help bring retirees back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And it really dovetails well with my work because if you think about the American Legion and the veterans of foreign wars and, you know, the Vietnam veterans of, you know, of, um, organization that there's an older demographic in there and so I get to you know I get to work with that demographic and it's, it's really kind of neat. That's awesome. Now you know we have an initiative and I know what the mm-hmm. Humana Inc. bold goal and then there's the Humana Military bold goal. Are you familiar with that? So I'm, I'm really I am familiar with it but I'm not really I'm I'm not really sure where it's heading and I'm you know this is you know truth and lending truth and advertising uh, my idea for what the military bowl goal should be and what is being executed are, are there, there are actually two different things. And so my idea of the military bowl goal, you know, thinking of the bowl goal itself, social determinants of health, the military population has a unique set of social determinants of health, whereas one of them might be segregation and housing as a regular bold goal social determinant of health. In the military, there is flat out segregation of housing. So you have two, you have multiple structures in the military that operate independently of each other. So you have the enlisted structure, you, and you have the, uh, the warrant officer structure, and you have the commissioned officer structure. So a social determinant of health for a young military family might be food insecurity, it, um, there, and they might have some other issues. But then when you get to a, a young officer, food insecurity is probably not going to be their social determinant of health. What may be is that they there's a lot of separation anxiety in the family. So they might have early on, they might have more behavioral health type social determinant mm-hmm. of health issues. And so you have this these differing populations and, and different sets of circumstances and what they do. Now, what I've seen from the military bowl goal is that, you know, that they're concentrating on food insecurity. And again, again, my idea was when you talk about the military bowl goal, it's centered around our work with TRICARE. And the TRICARE population is very defined. It's you're either active duty or a dependent or you're a retiree that that uses TRICARE. 
And so, again, you know, food insecurity is definitely a really good issue. But I will tell you that the major issue with military folks is behavioral health and access to be behavioral health care. And I appreciate you um, helping even as part of the Humana Military Bold Goal Associates Connection Council, myself and even Brittany, um, uh, to hear your side and understand what you're, how you're seeing it to be and, and how it's, it's just now blossoming. We're trying to get it out. Humana Military Bogo. And that's one of the areas of focus is the social connectedness, connectedness right. as well as um, um, uh, mental health, as well as um, food insecurity. And, you know, so all those pieces. So it's good to hear from your side where uh, we can sharpen the sharpen the pencil. The, you know, the other thing, and I love talking about the Bogo. I think that is such an amazing initiative. It's one of the things that really stuck with me, you know, when I first started working here and I was hearing about this going, wow, this is, yeah. you know, this is this is great. We need to do this for the military. And then they started thinking about the, the military one. Mm. And I'm I really am hoping over time that the military one um, evolves into more preventative wellness for the military folks, because I, I, I'll give you an example. So, you know, in my lengthy career, I did physical training almost every day. And it wasn't based on any science. It was, hey, we're going to go out and move this log and run with it and, you know, stuff like that. It was There was never any consideration about what you needed to do with your body and or biometrics or any of that stuff. None of it was built around science. And so now we have all this great science. And I was a beneficiary of some of it right here in Humana uh, a few years ago. Um, I had some biometric stuff going on, and I signed up for a program in Waterside at the gym down there or the or the wellness center down there. And I went into this program for two months. I went and I got taught how to to really work out and use weights. And I went through this program for two months. I went two days a week and my biometrics improved so much. I was mm -hmm. just, it was amazing. And I had this aha moment that, you know, the military has all these great workout facilities. They have people specifically trained in exercise science. And, uh, you know, that is something that, you know, we should be teaching people how to better exercise and use their bodies so that when they get older, instead of having all these problems, they, you know, they've prevented those problems. And not only does it save them and their bodies, but it also, it's, it cuts down on the use of resources. And I would really like to get back to this behavioral health issue because, and, and it's, PTSD is, or PTS is a perfect example of this. It, you know, that's a myth in the military that, you know, all these people have PTS in the military. There are, there are people all over the United States that have PTS. PTS is, is a result of violent, a violent action in, in a lot of cases, right? And women are more susceptible. They're like 50% more susceptible to PTS than men. But I will tell you that people that have PTS they use more resources than people that don't have PTS. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when you talk about it from a preventative wellness, mm -hmm. you know, having access to behavioral health care, behavioral health care should be on demand and it should be free. And I don't it's it's a thing where uh, I don't think that we emphasize it enough, you know, th that as a profession, you know, how honorable and how great it is. And, you know, you're able to serve others. And so hopefully over time, we're going to get smarter about that. And do you have any, any advice or insight how to overcome that stigma 
that, that people sometimes seem to have with seeking help or trying to seek those resources out? That is, that is a great question. And I don't know that there's a real answer to that. I Normalizing the conversation? You can normalize the conversation, but it gets to the point of people are going to do the things that they want. And, you know, mental health has been, um, you know, seeking treatment has been stigmatized for so many years. It, you know, we're going to have, it's going to be a while, I think, before our culture really changes to it's a, hey, it's okay, mm-hmm. you know. Because um, some of it, when you catch it early on, it won't develop into anything. It'll be a, man, I'm glad you were there to help me. But on the other hand, um, you know, one of the unfortunate outcomes of this is suicide. And in the veteran community, it's, it's pretty big. And you don't always know the warning signs. And I, I think about um, where we at Humana are taking steps to try to um, empower our associates to to learn and, and understand and, and um, to make it you know mental wellness you know um, where we're trying to just learn and, and be able to share and maybe try to identify maybe ask the right questions and I think Humana in a whole as a whole is trying to help with that initiative yeah, it's, it's a piece of our well-being and to, to take the time out and you know it's it, EAP services I mean you can reach out there and anonymously, and I can't stress that enough. Our EAP services do so much that we have, I know I haven't even utilized it as much as I could, but they'll they'll help you get in touch with resources. And just, you know, I've used it to ask a question before, and I had the best experience with it putting me in touch with something that I needed. And so you can visit go slash EAP and just kind of reach out there, see what's on the site, and then you know, get in touch with the things that you need as an associate. And that's offered free to you and your family and your friends. And talk about an an amazing opportunity to help take care of yourself and your family and your friends. Right. And, you know, uh, obviously, you know, um, I I think about this emotionally and and where my thoughts were going was I I had a friend that committed suicide recently that was a, a really good army friend. And there were no warning signs. None. It there was nothing. It wasn't. A, it was a thing where there was some gradual stuff, you know, where he was going downhill a little bit. With, you know, he divorced his wife, uh, you know, who's, who is his childhood sweetheart. But other than that, there was there was nothing out there. And then on the other side of it, there were people that said, "Well, he, you know, he was chasing demons. You know, he had these demons." And I'm thinking, "Wow, I never, I, I never knew there was no way I could have stepped in." And so again, you know, there are a lot of people that it doesn't matter what we do. They're not going to respond to it, but we still have to put that effort out there. And I applaud Humana, especially through the EAP. Uh, we've my family has used it as well, and it's just it's amazing. So well, we talk about this sometimes as well. We have an obligation, I think, a, a responsibility to one another to know what's available, to know what resources are out there through EAP, if not for ourselves, so that we can offer it to those around us who who might might need it so we'll put that in the show notes too and that's it for this episode but our conversation isn't over make sure to text WNRG to 239-355 so you can catch part two next week this podcast is produced by Melissa Nichols we also want to thank you for spending time with us this week and we always want to hear from you let us know your thoughts in our buzz group WNRG podcast series 
or by tagging us. We couldn't do this without you. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others.